all of the trappings of the genre, the the music, the kind of everything about it that makes it exciting and interesting to watch just falls away and we're left grappling with the reality of what exists after this life. Hello and welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and my fellow video essayist, Tom Vanderlinden, from the channel Like Stories of Old, that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week we'll be wrapping up our gangster series, where we've explored gangster cinema through the decades, starting with The Godfather and checking out one film for each decade up into the present. Uh, well, we don't have one for the, the 2020s decade, so um, we're, we're no. stopping for now in, <laughs> in the 2010s um, because I don't think there's a definitive uh, gangster film for the 2020s yet. Yet. Uh, too, too soon to tell, and there haven't, I don't know that there have been like really any gangster movies uh, of note that any, yeah. anyway, that's for, that's for next decade. <laughs> in the reunion podcast for now we're talking about the irishman kind of bringing this arc to a close seeing where how the gangster film has transformed um stylistically over time and uh this is one that i'm excited about because uh it'll be fun to kind of summarize this whole series but also i love this movie um this is just it's not the best scorsese movie but like Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorites for for some reason I can't explain, and I uh, this is the I didn't I wouldn't have had to watch it for this episode because I've seen it five times since it came out, and but I was like ah eh, whatever I'll I'll you know put it on and I watched the whole thing again anyway, um, <laughs> so I just love this movie for some inexplicable reason, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah I think it'll be fun to dig into. This is one that hits a lot of the beats we've already talked about you know there's explosive violence we've got kind of an outsider's journey into the mob Mm -hmm. um there's a little bit of that rise and fall yeah long time frame long time frame all the classic you know this fits the whole mold of the classic gangster film um yeah but but as i alluded to at the end of the last episode i think this also to some extent kind of goes beyond where the the gangster most gangster films go at least the ones we've talked about it kind of has this prologue element to it and in some ways this feels like a post gangster epilogue movie. right then or yes epilogue yeah, sorry yeah. <laughs> um so not only does the movie itself have this kind of like long epilogue but it mm-hmm. it's it, it kind of itself feels like sort of an epilogue to specifically the gangs the the scorsese gangster mob films but also a little bit i think to you know it's de niro it's pesci it's al pacino back together in one movie they're all these really old guys and it it feels like this kind of nostalgic look back on the genre um so i think this is a great way to kind of like frame the end of this series and kind of explore yeah. this whole arc through this movie because that's kind of what it feels like the movie is doing to me a little bit. It, it feels like a deconstruction, like an yes. an old man's solemn look back at 
the young life not just the young gangster life but also maybe an older filmmaker older actors all reflecting back on um, the stuff that they thought was maybe more interesting when they were younger and that they now have a slightly different perspective on or or at least um, a sort of acknowledgement that they've grown past it or moved past it and now find themselves in a different place with different uh, different ideas, a different worldview, and um, just different uh, meanings that they then uh, find in the same story, but now they're kind of removed from it in time. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's something that I think makes this movie uh, very interesting. I don't think I love it in the way that you do. <laughs> that's um, fair. Not not a lot of people do. <laughs> I might be one of the one of the you know how Spotify or it. Anyway, Spotify does this thing where it'll tell you like, oh, you're in the top 0.1% of this artist. Oh, yeah. Like you listen to more of their music than anybody else. I'm, I'm probably like one of those for the Irishman. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people who've watched a lot more than I have because uh, some people are crazy, but I'm probably in like the top 1%, 0.5% of Irishman fans. <laughs> so fair, fair enough. enough. <laughs> there are worse movies to be uh, yeah, yeah. a dedicated fan of. But yeah, I, I I I still enjoy it a lot. I think it has a very nice flow to it, despite its length. Um, the only thing that takes me out of it every time, I'm just gonna talk about it straight away. Yes, is the, yeah, go ahead. You know what I'm gonna say? The, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the de aging. Yeah, the, the, you know it is. It's the story of uh, just to give some context for what this movie is about. We have the story of Frank Sheeran. Frank yeah. Sheeran, a sort of true story. Someone, as you earlier mentioned, he, he gets caught up in the gangster life in the 50s, 60s, uh, yeah. post-Second World War era. He's a war veteran. Um, and then he befriends this um, character played by El Pacino, Jimmy Hoffa, who is this half-crooked, half-straight um, uh, politician. Uh, if I yeah, Well, he's a union, a union. boss... So yeah, yeah. Kind of, I mean, it's politics adjacent. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah. technically not an elected of, or like not associated with the government officially. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure how those constructions work in the United States, but um, that he and he's a friend who gets uh, who has connections with the mob. But there's you know, as the years pass, that's that those connections are increasingly. Uh, causing like friction and tension to the point where it, the the mob is no longer uh, confident that they want Jimmy Hoffa to stick around. They tell Frank like it is what it is, which basically means he's gonna get uh, cleaned up. Um, and Frank is the one who eventually has to do um, the job. He takes out his best friend. He you know he goes through with it, takes him out. And then there's this long uh, extended uh, sequence or, you know, a whole part of the movie that deals with what happens after the years after Frank getting older, losing all of his old friends, losing his family life. And that's that's sort of that's the Irishman in, in, in a nutshell. Yeah. But so there's this perspective where you kind of start at the very end, uh, you know, in the story as well as in the production, you know, you have these very old uh, not very old. You have aging actors, uh, Al Pacino, De Niro, Pecci, uh, Scorsese. All of them are, I think, near or past eighty. 
Yeah, I don't know what all there is, but they're, they're yeah. all up there, yeah. They're, they're up there, yeah. So that means for all the scenes in the flashbacks, all the the useful stuff, all those sequences, we have the same characters played by the same actors, but they are now de-aged with CGI. And it just looks terrible, to be honest. <laughs> it just takes me... Every time I see that, that first cut from Robert De Niro's old face to his post-Second World War young guy face in the truck, like I, I, it just breaks the immersion completely every time. I'm, I have no idea how old he is supposed to be. Like, is he 25? Is he 45? <laughs> like, what? I'm not sure. Yeah. What, what's the age that they were going for? Like, I'm not sure how it works with the... Or, or if the timeline, the timeline gives yeah, us yeah. any specifics, but... Yeah, I agree that 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 first jump especially is yeah. is is rough and it's it doesn't rough. it's it doesn't it's definitely not selling the effect. Yeah. Um I will say like within I'd say like 20 or 30 minutes after that at least for me, I don't know, maybe I've seen it so many times I've just gotten used to it at this point, but like I don't think about it anymore. Hmm. Um and so I get used to it pretty quickly, so it's like it is definitely. I I totally agree. Even as someone who loves this movie, that it, the the effect isn't quite working at first. Yeah. But it feels like ultimately, like the part of it that's super distracting to me is like twenty minutes out of what is like a three hour and twenty minute movie. That's um, true. Yeah. So it doesn't. It doesn't like. It's not enough to ruin the the uh, no. effect overall for me. I will say what bothers me more is the like the stuff that they could have easily avoided. Where it's mm. like there's that bit where Frank's daughter gets like shoved by yes. <laughs> a grocery store owner or something, and he goes to to um, beat him up, and they hold on this wide shot. Other people have said this. It's they hold yeah. on this wide shot of like it's been De Niro quite a bit. De Niro like kicking this guy's hand, and you can just tell that De Niro's like an old guy. Like he has none of this young guy energy. He's kind of like <laughs> you know you you know his yeah i know the character has arthritis so it's like but but still it's it, you know he had he doesn't can, seem that can clearly see that this whole you can de-age the face but it's harder right. to de-age the whole body and the way his body clearly like transformed over the years as men get older like the whole physiques they kind of yes shrivel a little bit you know the shoulders are and the neck they get like shorter at least that's clearly what happened with De Niro. You know, that's not a critique or anything, but that's just right. what life does, I guess. And for some reason, it 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 just. I'm almost wondering to what extent there's a deliberateness to it, because as you you talked about that scene, which the the, the scene where the, the wide shot, where it's so obvious that this is an 80 year old trying to play a 40 year old or something, and it's just, I mean. Anyone on that production, you know, the cameraman, the editors, in hindsight, like they must have known, like this isn't, this isn't selling, like whatever it's supposed to be selling. Why not? Yeah. Go for, you know, a stunt double, like a stand-in, and then do this CGI face over it, or just have like more of a close-up, or maybe some quick cutting, to kind of hide away the, um, the the real age of De Niro, but. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not sure what Scorsese was going for in that sequence. If he f thought like, oh, it's, I'm sure it's going to be fine in post or, <laughs> yeah, he, he's, or, or maybe, you know, this is probably overthinking it. Like I'm 99% sure this is not deliberate, but 
you know, you can make the argument, I guess, that there's a it was intentional to sort of uh, have the memory be construed a little bit by now having this old man sort of looking back and not being even able to fully envision or remember his own youth anymore and only kind of seeing the memories as, as if he's replaying them now as the old man trying to, you know, sort of reflecting back on his life. In that sense, you know, I'm willing to go with it a little bit, but right. <laughs> um, for me still, it, it just, for some reason, it's also the eyes that for some reason just don't look yeah. at all. Like I watched, we, you know, Godfather Part Two not too long ago. We watched Goodfellas, uh, you know, all these movies with a younger uh, De Niro. And it's so clear that they just didn't get the eyes right. Like the, this whole yeah. eye color has changed. There's even even some fixes on YouTube that use like the deep fake stuff to uh, impose like the younger De Niro face on uh, on on the shots in the movie, and it does look, you know, it still looks a bit, little wobbly, but it at least it gets the eyes better. But yeah, I feel like they were like five years too soon on trying to do the, yeah. the, this movie this way because it's like. Since this came out, the technology that they used to do this, like de aging, has has like mm -hmm. at least doubled in like how good it is. Yeah. So I get I get why. I mean, I've listened to Scorsese's explanations of like you know why he wanted to do it this way and et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of like it, it is what it is. I guess <laughs> I I see I definitely see it as a flaw. I get what you're saying mm -hmm. where. You know, maybe there was intent behind it and maybe, yeah. I don't think that was, I don't, my read is that that's not what they were going for. I think, no. I think they were just doing their best and it's a long and complicated production. And I think some stuff probably just slipped through the cracks and it kind of doesn't work, uh, in a few places. And I would just say, you know, I think those are flaws in this movie. It's a flawed it's a flawed film, but mm -hmm. uh, I think there's enough else that is compelling about it for me that yeah, definitely I'm like willing to overlook yeah. those those elements and kind of get past them. Yeah, I don't want to linger on this for too long because it's already been talked about so much. But I will say, I also watched uh, after I saw The Irishman again. I figured like, oh, now I'm in the mood for long, yeah. drawn out movies. Then I'm also going to revisit uh, the one that we missed in the '80s, which is Once Upon a Time in America. Um, by Sergio Leone, yeah, which is remarkably similar in many ways, like thematically, I think, to what The Irishman is also doing only decades later. So in that sense, it feels like Once Upon a Time in America was maybe even more ahead of its time than um, it was given credit for at the time. It's just, it's also dated in some ways. You know, there's uh, a lot of talk about the way that movie handles... Um, women as you know has been brought up in a lot of gangster movies but also specifically um uh, some scenes with violence against women and just the general misogyny that these characters embody which i think to some extent is part of the story uh in fact i'm i'm i'm, I'm definitely sure that this that there's a very textual element there where these characters you know they start out from even from an even younger age we see these characters as boys as little boys being uh, first raised with like the culture of the gangsters before actually becoming gangsters and I think that's a very pivotal part in that movie where you can see the sort of you know these 
more oppressive like patriarchal values already being instilled on them from like age 10 12 uh, however young they are in uh, those earlier scenes so i think that's very much a deliberate commentary that the movie um uh expresses but you know there's still the way it depicts certain scenes that that might not yeah. be um on par with like modern sensibilities um it's also fun to see that movie have uh a young Robert De Niro uh, being aged up to like an old <laughs> yeah, man yeah. to play the uh, older scenes. Because this movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in America, is also very much a movie that starts with the gangster as the old aging, quote unquote, survivor of the life. And now right. who's kind of feeling a certain emptiness, looking back, reflecting on his youth and kind of deconstructing the gangster life that he thought or once thought was valuable and meaningful and now only at the end of his life realizes that it was all like a waste and that yeah. um, in that sense I think it's a much more poignant like deconstruction as some other movies have like Scarface maybe or even Goodfellas where um, you know there's a rise and fall but there's that sense that okay maybe even if the ro roller coaster like crashes at the end at least it was a fun ride and maybe that yeah it, that leaves that space for the argument that oh maybe that's enough and i think that's the kind of movie that we also see in the 2010s with the wolf of wall street which i think is very much the more direct sequel or a quote-unquote sequel to goodfellas in that sense in the way it uh, stylistically and thematically portrays the uh, not quite gangster life but sort of I guess the modern version of it but anyways uh, going back to Once Upon a Time in America it feels like that's also very much a movie that has that uh, that's that's just imbued with this sense of melancholy and that that's something that I think um makes it much more similar to the Irishman or that's what I think the Irishman is also pulling off very well is that yeah. it's from the beginning there's this sense of nothing that's about to happen has any real meaning or value or has any real um, uh, you know there, there's no mistake here that the life that Frank lived was in any ways rewarding or inspiring or um, aspirational or whatever um, and I think we also see that very much in the filmmaking itself, in the way it depicts. I had a note here that just said the gangster high life, you know, the, that moment where the gangster is at the top of his game, whether that's in, you know, Goodfellas, really at the top of the mountain, or, or that's in uh, Scarface, I mean, or in Goodfellas, where it's, uh, we follow this more of a middleman, but also one who at one point you know, reaps all these rewards for his sins, basically, and lives this, you know, lavish uh, uh, lifestyle. And I'm watching Irishman. I was just, at, at one point, I was wondering, like, we, we're we not seeing that at all. Like, there's no sense that this life is particularly rewarding to Frank. You know, there's this sense that he wants to make a little bit more money to protect his family. Um, a family who's also mostly absent and mostly suspicious of him. There's this uh, recurring sense that his daughter is afraid of him and afraid of uh, Patchy's character. Um, so it doesn't feel like there's this romanticization, that kind of middle part of the movie where the uh, 
the, the, the gangster high life part, uh, as I called it, that to me feels like it's totally missing here. And yeah, um, that's something that I also thought was very interesting. The opening shot of this is this slow kind of dot or not dolly, but steady cam sort of tracking shot through this uh, retirement home. And it very much feels like Scorsese Scorsese said in an interview that that this this wasn't intentional. Oh, but I yeah. think in t- regardless of what he intended, it's impossible not to relate it to like the similar shots from Goodfellas where and and he used those shots in Goodfellas to kind of portray what you're describing, which is like the the best parts of being a gangster is this feeling of camaraderie and oh he goes into the Copacabana and he knows everybody and he's a high roller and he gets all this special treatment. And this movie opens up out the out of the gate with kind of this stark reality of what's left over after all after this rise and fall we kind of start at the end and frame everything within that but then i think you're right that even even as we go back into it there's not the same rewards for frank and yeah, yeah. he we we get a portrait of him very much as somebody who does this almost not not to this is not at all to ex an excuse or like a justification for his Mm -hmm. behavior or what he does, but almost as a response to like war trauma or this sort of, he directly relates this feeling of, you know, at one point he says something about just follow orders and do the right thing. And he's talking about basically doing hits for the mob Mm -hmm. and you can see kind of in his mind this equating of how he operated in war following orders and then how he operates in the mob. When he first talks to uh, Hoffa, he says, you know, I felt like I was talking to General Patton. So we get this feeling of this guy who maybe has PT, you know, who knows what what happened to him or like, but he he for some reason is attached to this way of functioning that he learned while he was in war and Mm -hmm. he he either continues to want to be in that or just feels comfortable in it or that's where he feels power you know it doesn't really dig into the reasons why exactly but it definitely draws that connection which i think is an interesting one yeah that that's one i wanted to also bring up because that's uh we haven't really talked about the relation between the gangster movie and the second world war even though a lot of these movies uh, are set you know with the exception of scarface are set somewhere after yeah the second world war and also in the the godfather michael corleone was specifically a war a veteran, veteran. Yeah. Uh, here again we have frank being specifically a war veteran um and also one that i think was exposed to way more combat than uh, the average soldier was i think I saw somewhere that it was the you know the average U.S. soldier in the Second World War saw like eighty uh, days of combat, active combat that is, and I think Frank was mentioned of having seen like four hundred. So 
it was kind of like this small note that he was overexposed to violence and combat yeah. and um, also to sort of a form of corruption. You know, he recounts that scene where, where he was supposed to bring like these prisoners of war into the woods and, you know, they wouldn't tell him what they, what he had to do, but it was sort of clear in the subtext that yeah. he had to shoot them, um, which is also a big thing in the mafia life or the gangster life, yeah. which is the one thing I also think we haven't mentioned yet as a sort of common trope. Uh, we've been listing like all these, uh, trying to get at all the, uh, the right. common characteristics <laughs> of the gangster yeah. movie. And I think one, the one that we haven't mentioned yet, maybe we did, but uh, it's the idea that there's this sort of code language between the gangsters, which is also very much an explicit thing in the Irishman, where they don't say like, oh, you uh, you are a hitman. No, they say, you know, you paint houses. Yeah. And um, there's that, that whole the iconic, or at least I think one of the highlight moments in the movie for me was that where they tell Jimmy Hoffa, you know, like, it is what it is. Yeah. Which basically means like we're done with you, we're gonna kill you. Yeah. Um But that's you know, that's and that that interesting thing where you have this whole sort of language that is just all metaphorical, like there's no no one tells uh, or sa says things like specifically or explicitly, and I feel like that's something that um is something that can seep into a language or corrupt a language very easily because it, it, it's kind of, it's an easy way to sort of, I'm not sure what the best way to put this is, but you know, you can sort of motivate evil without taking the responsibility for it. Like you can right. say, go clean a house, knowing full or what that mean or like what that means or say like, oh, bring these prisoners into the woods and then not say, yeah the thing that is the actual crime or the actual evil and then have others do that and which I guess makes them the the, the culpable ones but um, because that's I think for a long time how gangsters were able to operate as they did because no one you know they could only arrest and indict like the the low level guys because anyone on top was completely exempt because no one there was no clear line of communication that was all like these yeah. weird codes and metaphors and symbols that could be dismissed in a court that demands like explicit evidence like or, or that demands a like explicit showing of you know show me that guy told him to kill that other one and yeah um you know without that being there that's just um it, it's just part of how they operate and i think that's also uh in the irishman specifically something that maybe kind of infected Frank's mind a little bit in the sense that he figured, you know, if whether I'm a soldier fighting for freedom there or a gangster doing whatever here, you know, uh, because it all operated the same way linguistically, he felt like, oh, it's all similar. And that's, you know, that's a more common theme that we've talked about, that idea that, oh, you know, the gangsters are corrupt and criminal, but everything is, you know, every other institution right. is. So it's just a matter of which one is the most rewarding for me or which is the one that I, I, I'm more uh, interested in or whatever. And yeah. yeah, that that might be for me, I think, um, because I don't think Frank was specifically suffering from PTSD or something. I no, think no, just, yeah, uh, yeah. It may, if anything, I th think it just his experience in the war and the way 
he was being communicated to the kind of the frame of the, the sort of social structure with him being the soldier just following orders and yeah uh executing these vague orders uh made him a sort of sociopath almost or at least if he maybe he already was one but if if not like it just kind of ruined his sort of maybe his empathy or something a little bit like that it it at the very least gave him a framework that he uses to justify his behavior in the in this new context so like he's using the same whatever mental hoops he jumped through to be like to tell himself it's okay to shoot these prisoners of war he's using those same hoops He's jumping through those same mental hoops in order to justify his behavior as a mob hitman. You yeah. kind of see, even see that articulated. There's a moment where uh, Hoffa, when they first meet, and Hoffa's kind of justifying sort of taking these, not hits, but doing these kind of violent actions as a union in order to protect the union or or get certain political outcomes. And he's kind of, he says in war you go from point a to point b and sometimes along the way you spill a little beer and does this philosophy make sense to you and ed sheeran's like yeah or ed sheeran frank sheeran (laughs) (laughs) ed sheeran the hitman the the irish mafia hitman (laughs) is like it says yeah that that makes complete sense to me and that kind of reducing sort of what they just did which was throw dynamite in a bunch of taxi cabs and blow them up in order Mm -hmm. to squelch, uh, you know, get the union's way. Describing it as spilling a little beer to get from point A to point B just speaks to kind of the way they are framing their actions and what they're doing and thinking about those things. Yeah, I think that's also a difference between Frank and some of the other gangsters that we've been talking about is that the violence he commits is never, or, or almost never, uh, like personal. Like in uh, yeah. Goodfellas, you know, Patchy's character was insulted at one point, and that leads to this whole brutal like beating. But here, Frank is always kind of um, he, he has quite a bit of restraint until you know someone higher up tells him you you know you got to shoot him now, and then yeah, he just does it pragmatically uh, without like too much. Um, uh, fanfare around it or you know he's not showing off in any way he's just doing the thing uh, almost like a sort of procedure uh, in fact at some point it literally becomes like this this montage where you can see him doing it again and again and it's kind of implied yeah. that oh yeah it's it's just the ordinary way of being for him you know he's just carrying these things out it doesn't affect him one way or another and he doesn't care about it one way or another he's just doing he's getting from a to b while spilling that little beer and then helping his buddy out or his boss or um yeah uh whoever that i think is a very interesting also an aspect of that deconstruction of the gangster movie where it doesn't feel like this is so much about ego and personal um yeah i think we talked about that i'm not sure in which episode we talked about that but the idea of the gangster movie being about this sort of climbing of the social ladder and getting this um having this more individualistic perspective that's about the individual becoming elevated within a given social system in this case the gangster uh life 
Um, whereas here it feels like Frank remains throughout his sort of gangster career, he remains the same guy. Like he just remains kind of the almost like a brute more than a character who has really like the wits of a Michael Corleone who uses, you know, he has he has the sort of soldier coolness and like the stoicness that um, characterizes him. But he's also very much. Uh, I think admired as a character because he's also very strategic, very intelligent, very clever, knows when to take action, when to show restraint and whatnot. Um, he's essentially just a very good businessman. And I think that with Frank, and that's something that I also saw in Once Upon a Time in America, which I thought was very interesting, is that in both of these movies, the main characters, the the main gangsters are kind of being depicted as somewhat unintelligent like they're not especially clever they're even like uh, most of the time doing stuff that will uh, is against their own interest even though they don't see the consequences yet and that's something that happens in the other gangster movies too but I think in these movies specifically the audience is more in on that like we can see more clearly that that Frank in this movie is not like some genius mastermind or some gangster uh, top dog who's just he was gonna pull like a, a Breaking Bad type maneuver that in in the way that uh, yeah uh, uh, Walter White oh Walter White yeah you know that that's something that's often admired about these characters in that, that that despite their sort of sins and despite their just quote unquote evilness uh, to say it in a somewhat cartoonish cartoonish way uh, there's also an admiration for like. The idea that these characters are also clever and uh, can outsmart their rivals and their opponents. And I think that's also an interesting element that's very much being deconstructed here. That Frank's not this. And that in fact most gangsters are not like these the, these strategic, you know, uh, evil geniuses that are always five steps ahead of the competition. But are just going along and doing whatever and causing chaos in 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 whatever it is that they're up to and yeah um i think that's also something that uh, comes back beautifully in that interaction between hoffa's character and the guy italian guy that he goes to prison with and they have like an yeah uh, uh an argument tony tony pro tony pro yeah yeah so they they get a, they develop a little beef over nothing, and then, then later there's this meeting where they're supposed to make amends, you know, become friends again. And then um, Hoffa he blames him for being 15 minutes late, which he thinks is rude. And the other guy is still pissed at the other one because he uh, used a, a racial slur against him or something. And that's just it becomes clear from the very beginning that there's no way that either of them are are gonna give like an inch to the other like he's not gonna apologize yeah. he's not gonna apologize and then five minutes later they're, they're rolling over the floor uh trying to kick <laughs> yeah. each other's and it's just <laughs> it's just such a perfect sequence i think to show how these negotiations really go like this is not michael corleone sitting with a cigarette like being cool saying the smart thing they're, yeah they're, they're these are just clearly like two people who you know are going to make the worst possible decision for their own good even just yeah. because they cannot get over themselves and because they cannot really uh, they, they specifically lack that ability to look beyond their own ego and beyond their own issues to make the smarter decision here and uh, yeah that's 
that's one of my favorite yeah. scenes in the movie actually yeah that's 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 a great one this movie has so many one of the things i love about it is it has so many of those little scenes that are wonderful like a lot of the li- smaller characters in this movie mm. are the ones that are the fun and charismatic characters that normally would headline a movie like this so i think you're totally right that kind of putting frank center stage and having him be this character who has almost no charisma compared to like a goodfellas or a michael corleone there's no frank is not cool at all there's no moment where you're like oh wow this guy's this guy's cool uh, yeah. and a lot of the char- a lot of the characters are more comical and kind of goofy in a sense and this is a reflection i think of kind of that shift we would have seen in the last decade where you know uh you haven't seen the sopranos but the sopranos mm-hmm. kind of helps with that transition of tony soprano as this mob character it's it's kind of like he thinks he has this cool like charismatic sort of macho mob vibe but really it's you can kind of see through that to what mm-hmm. is you know somebody trying to have that and that's what that's how most of the people feel in here where their ego the you know everything about them is a little bit more transparently them trying to you know be bigger than they are or being more sociopathic it's it feels like everybody's kind of stripped down a little bit to their to their raw components um including russell uh joe pesci's character who i think is an excellent kind of flip on the character he plays in goodfellas it's he's he's the opposite of tommy it's just like quiet poise and raw power the guy like doesn't say anything he's not a personality he doesn't he he is basically this like machine that functions on respect and like power exclusively It, it very much feels like taking all these pieces and framing them in a very different way yeah to kind of deconstruct like a lot of the yes the familiar stuff yeah i think that also uh, i think as for to kind of bring this the the act of deconstruction like i think to a conclusion like this uh the ultimate thing i think that this movie clearly subverts compared to now I, i guess it's there in all the gangster movies but i think most explicitly here is that idea that while the gangster life presents this um ideal of like brotherhood and loyalty between friends and you know this family life that's competing against the 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 other families or whatever um i think this movie very much makes that statement that no this is actually really is a facade for what is uh ultimately just a playground for other like betrayal and um complete isolation for any individual and that's i think uh what this final stretch of the movie uh demonstrates so uniquely um is that they really just end up pretty much alone like there's no um there's no real bond between these characters that um i guess there's a little bit between frank and um russell's character as they 
kind of age together in prison but um it, it just doesn't feel like you know frank towards the end commits like the greatest act of betrayal that that he's ever done he's he, you know that it, it's i think on par with like uh michael uh shooting his own brother fredo in the godfather part two you know that's there's ultimately like this idea that whatever promise of loyalty or friendship or brotherhood there is within this life it's ultimately uh meaningless and void and um i like the way this movie again similar to once upon a time in america I mean, did you see that movie i forget or no no okay. it's really an interesting companion piece i'd say to this one because it um it, it deals very much with these similar themes i won't spoil it then for you too much but um uh, it, it sets also like the Irishman. It sets a lot of the stuff up early, and then you kind of see how it unfolds, rather than have it be some kind of big reveal towards the end. But yeah, the the thing about the Irishman that I think I admire most is that is is specifically that final stretch. You know, after Hoffa is dead, and it's kind of uh, you you see Frank um, remarking like it, it it really was as simple as that, or something yeah. along those lines. Uh, which kind of plays into the mystery because Frank Hoffa, I think, uh, was never found. He was declared dead eventually. Uh, but it's sort of an open case as far as I know, right? Yeah, there's people There's people who don't even believe this account of the story, which is based on a book that I... Th yeah, forgive me, people out there, if I don't get my details exactly right, but yeah. Frank Sheeran kind of admitted to some things. And there's people who don't even believe that he did all this stuff there's people who think that he was kind of sort of make like basically falsely admitting to some stuff in order to make himself feel more significant or i don't know how much bearing those claims have but it is an open question to the point where even frank's own account of the story is 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 questioned yeah i think there was some uh uh like a confession he made on his deathbed or something but right i think the idea that he might have been making it all up like the story in which he looks like the like the worst possible guy and the, the guy who ends up with nothing is somehow even more pathetic than him right yeah having exactly. actually done that yeah <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm not sure what kind of fame he thought he was making out of that or right i agree that this last kind of 45 minutes or hour of the movie or or whatever Basically, mm -hmm. from the point where they get to where they're going, or Russell conveys to Frank, we're going to go up to Port Clinton, you're going to be involved in this, essentially, in not so many words, kind of leaves it to Frank, hey, you're going to be a part of this hit. or And Frank still kind of to the last minute is thinking they'll be able to work out a meeting, but he's yeah. gradually, slowly realizing that's not what's yeah. what's going to happen. That's basically also the, the, the like framing device of the movie, right? They begin on that yeah. road trip that eventually yeah. leads to Hoffa's murder. And then in between, we get the sort of uh, the flashbacks to flashbacks. Yeah. Bits. yeah. And there's two things about this last segment that I think, which is what makes this movie something impressive to me. Because before mm -hmm. that, it's already starting to deconstruct the gangster genre a little bit. We've already talked about some of that. Even the choice to kind of as we're introducing characters, put up those little title cards that oh, yeah. say how they died is kind of... Yeah, that's great. It's already 
from the beginning of the movie, it's already being planted in her mind. Like every one of these people is going to die in some kind of some kind of way, except for that one guy who gets the card that says he died oh, of old yeah. age because he was well liked by all Tony mm-hmm. or Tony Jack. I think was his died a natural death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that section, you know, it's fun Scorsese gangster flick material with a little bit of a twist. Mm-hmm. But then we get to this last bit, and it's almost like all of the trappings of the genre, the the music, the kind of everything about it that makes it exciting and interesting to watch just falls away. And we're left sitting with these long shots on the plane, on the plane where Frank is just having to sit with what he is about to do. And then he does it. And then he's and then we go past that and it just keeps going and he's just had it just leaves us in this solemnness and this loneliness mm-hmm. and this kind of horrifying grappling with the reality of what exists after this life style and i think that's where it really goes beyond sort of the material uh examination of the gangster life where you know uh, in Goodfellas, we see Henry Hill's rise and fall materially. And by the end, he's just mm-hmm. another guy, but he's living in a suburb. But there's there's no real examination of like what is happening to the inside of Henry Hill during that process. How yeah. does he feel? Does you know is he fulfilled as a person, or has this lifestyle had some kind of impact on him? We get a little bit more of that, I think, in Scarface, where you kind of feel mm-hmm. the rot inside inside his his character but still by the end he's kind of going out in a way that that feels like yeah feels fitting to the the kind of lifestyle that he had yeah right and in this movie we just get like 20 minutes of watching this guy die and he's just he's terrified of death he doesn't want to be cremated or buried because he doesn't want to die and he can't talk to his family and he's he he can't like he's going to a priest because he feels guilty but he can't even bring himself to like actually confess what he's done in any like meaningful way he 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 can't even feel remorse even though it seems like he's kind of trying to or like there's barely a hint of remorse there and it's just this it's such a bleak depiction of i think what this life would probably do to you like yeah you know what this would actually feel like if you if you betrayed everyone in your life, if if everyone you knew died, if you were backed into a corner where you ended up killing one of your best friends because your other friend basically said it's 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 him or me essentially, and it, yeah. I think that depiction is so stark and and it feels very much like a a grappling with this genre in a sense of. Scorsese especially and maybe these other guys who have played a big role in it and kind of looking back on it and being like kind of saying maybe we depicted this in a way that was critical but also looked fun and here's us showing you the version of it that is not fun at all that that all the fun is stripped away and you're just left like sad and lonely and old to connect it back to the little bit at the beginning where we were talking about the aging I think this is one way where the movie works. It works in the movie's advantage where even though the 
the de-aging doesn't work very well, and you could have maybe fixed that by having someone younger cast as, uh, yep. and doing two different actors. I think having them, having the actors actually be old really works to their advantage when you get to this point where they're playing old guys and they look and feel old in a way that mm-hmm. young people being aged up often don't. Even if you have good prosthetics, they don't know how to sort of that demeanor of the body that that you were talking about that get, really gives them away as being older yeah. when they're playing younger guys towards the end makes those moments really effective where you know even these guys bodies are failing them and mm-hmm. yeah so i think i think that adds to the starkness in a way that 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 really works so it's sacrificing stuff at the beginning in order to be maybe slightly more effective at the end but um yeah that whole last section is 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 what I uh, makes this such a compelling movie to me. I think, yeah, wor- a worthwhile addition to kind of this arc. I think this is also where uh, we talked about that a little bit in uh, the Goodfellas episode, but not too much because I feel like of all Scorsese's movies, Goodfellas was maybe the least explicit when it comes to Scorsese bringing in these existential themes and these more. Yeah existential like subtextual elements or even like specific uh, or um, explicit religious um, ideas in the way that um, you know he does in uh, some of his other movies silence most recently what he does do in the Irishman very much is that he brings those you know ultimate those ultimate questions into this genre where he used to sort of have that be he sort of left that to the audience. I don't think Scorsese was ever someone who was genuinely interested in the sort of life he depicted through these gangsters, but always had that sort of critical outside perspective that saw this as someone in in religious terms, like it would be the path that strayed away from God or the the life of sin or whatever, like uh, however you want to put it. But um, I think he also... he, he. he often left that to the viewer's discretion to kind of see right. and judge this instead of have it be have it dictate like a message to us. And uh, I think that's oft- something that's often misunderstood about his movies. And um, you know, you and I guess you can make a case for that that maybe that's just a difficult way f- for how for movies to function. Like if you look at The Wolf of Wall Street, for example, which was relatively recent, but uh, and which was very much an explicit critique of whatever it uh, it tried to show us. But, you know, that movie has become like an unironic inspiration for so many like little young hustlers out there who now want right. that life, even though Scorsese is probably someone who genuinely wants to critique it and maybe even understand it because, you know, maybe uh, I'm not sure he's just if he's just fascinated by that kind of... Um, sinfulness or that kind of uh the question of how someone can go down this path of total meaninglessness or uh false fulfillment but anyways in in the irishman i think that's uh i I love the way he brings that in much more explicitly like at the end as you talked about you know there's this whole sequence where you know he's looking for his coffin he's He's contemplating, you know, the, his, the way his remains should be handled, and 
there's this question of like death and finality and uh, what it means to move on or uh, what it means to die basically and I think he handles it with a lot of grace in this movie and then not in a way that I think is too in your face about it with you know it's not trying to I think um, specifically like promote I, certain ideals or certain uh, certain religious ideas or whatever um, but he, I think he's very much using this as a way to maybe more directly f let the audience reflect back on the life that Frank lived and by kind of contextualizing it within these more ultimate questions and uh, that maybe by the end of it by you know if you know when he's looking that looking for that coffin when he's looking for that spot to be buried you know the questions that arise in those little scenes you know they they bring about these deeper questions about oh wait what does it all mean at the end you know does it uh what's the thing that i really care about at this point and that also makes the anything or everything that happened before that look sort of trivial by comparison yeah like oh, the yeah. question of like oh should uh, should you swallow your pride and not take a, like take a little offensive comment or whatever or right <laughs> yeah i don't know like a, a lot of the the um the earlier argument arguments that we talked about that happened in this movie like all these egos bumping up against each other that by the end of it it all seems completely completely silly like um yeah there's just these as you said like these old guys left who cannot even like chew their food anymore they have to like dip it there's this scene that's a, another great juxtaposition i think there's the the scene where frank and um russell first russell, meet they're like yeah. they're literally like breaking bread like they have this italian loaf that's uh they're pulling pieces from and commenting on oh like this is good uh good italian bread and they're speaking like a little italian and it is there's this sort of godfather-ish theme playing in the background and then by the end of it, they have the bread again, but Russell's like, oh, I can't eat that. And, uh, yeah. you know, they have to dip it in the wine or the the, the drink that they have. Uh, I don't think it is. I don't think even think it's wine. It's like a... Yeah, it's just a grape like juice. Like a juice, yeah. a grape juice or something. Yeah. And it just... It, it, it's such an interesting contrast, those two scenes and the way, you know, everything that happens in between, um, it, it just gives it so much... I don't know how to put it. It's just, it makes you feel reflective about a lot of things in a way that I don't think a lot of other gangster movies do. Uh, and that I think is specifically because it manages to bring in like these deeper uh, existential issues into right. a genre that usually not really, not directly, not as directly uh, faces those. Yeah, yeah. Usually the question at the end of these movies is, is the guy going to get caught? Does he end up in jail? Yeah. And he either does or he dies before that can happen or he goes to jail and then he gets off because he rats some people out or whatever. In this one, they do go to jail, but then it goes beyond that and we see kind of, I think, how imprisoned Frank is by his own conscience and the, like yeah. the guilt of what he, the life that he's lived. And I think that pushes it into a slightly more interesting yeah. territory where it's not just about, Oh, what are the material consequences, but sort of what are the 
Scorsese suddenly is interested here in what are the spiritual consequences of this kind of lifestyle. And, and I think, I think that's an interesting move. And I think it's, it's one that makes this movie, you know, you could look at this and you'd be like, well, I'm not a gangster. I haven't murdered all these people, whatever. But a lot of people make little decisions throughout their life that one of the clear juxtapositions here is kind of the judgment of his daughter, his daughter ending up not ending up not speaking to him. And we kind of see her gaze throughout the film, just watching him and quietly judging his life. And we also see how little he actually interacts with her or is able to communicate with her. And he's choosing at every step, this kind of lifestyle and career and whatever over his children, but doing it in the guise of, Oh, I'm trying to protect you or whatever. And I think there's a lot of people who, aren't anywhere near as horrific as what Frank Sheeran is, but they're making choices throughout their life that might put their career ahead of their family, or, you know, you're making these moral or ethical compromises that you yourself somewhere might know "Ah, this, you know, this maybe isn't the right thing to do. And it's kind of about being at the end of your life and having to sit with those choices and, and grapple with that and yeah. i think getting an image of that in cinema is kind of powerful because unless you sit with an old person who is at this stage in their life it's hard to get that perspective of looking back in your life and having to grapple with it and so getting to see that in this movie i think yeah can kind of help cue you into maybe that thinking about that headspace a little bit, which if you're younger can already help you think about how do I not end up there? How do I not end up in a prison of my own creation where every choice I've made in my life led me to a point of just utter regret and loneliness? And how do I, how do I avoid that? And what are the things that will be important to me at that, that point in my life and kind of, taking this as like a map of what not to do, what you, you know, which all these mm-hmm. gangster movies should be to some extent, but, yeah. uh, and to some extent a, they are like the Godfather part yes, three. Yeah. It does have that scene where you basically have the same, uh, idea present where there's now this old Michael Corleone sitting alone in his, uh, Sicilian countryside right. house, but he's all by himself. There's no one there yeah. just filled with regret and, basically dying alone depending on uh, which version of the movie you see uh i think in the original one that's, that's the final shot is him like tipping over in his chair and just dying out there without anyone noticing but in yeah. the uh, the remastered or the recut version that they released uh, a few years back there's the shot cuts uh, a little bit sooner so it's it's more ambiguous yeah but I think the main difference between that and the Irishman is that whereas in The Godfather, it really, it, it very much feels like, you know, the story, the, 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 the content of the story is the same, but I feel like in The Godfather, it's more of this footnote at the end of it, whereas in The Irishman, it really becomes its own chapter and even maybe yeah. it, it, arguably like the essence of the whole story um, because everything else just becomes so, everything else just becomes like so transformed by it and um yeah that's just um i think what this a great ending almost to uh the gangster 
sort of saga that we've been covering yeah. here, like from the Godfather to here, like it does feel like this is, uh, it almost feels like a sort of epilogue to the genre as a whole. Like I'm, I'm sure there yeah. will be plenty of other gangster movies in the future, but it does feel like this movie is sort of, or maybe it's just Scorsese putting his own like sort of period um, behind it. Like he is, uh, maybe for him, it's like a sort of closing chapter. Um, I hope not. I hope he gets to make a lot more films, but um, I, I do think this was in some ways like his swan song to the genre or yeah. um, something like that. And what makes this movie very interesting and also a very fitting uh, finale to um, all the gangster movies we've been covering. Um, I, I do want to mention that I think in part of what to get into a little bit into the why of why like the gangster genre would be ending uh, and I think that the answer to that is found in that other Scorsese movie The Wolf of Wall Street where it feels like very much um, it's also by the way in The Irishman that they make a point at some point about sort of big business being on the attack on the local life and the, yeah. the gangsters just as, as the sort of local uh, forces being overwhelmed by just the sheer force of like neoliberal capitalism or like big <laughs> yeah, business yeah, corporate power yeah corporate america <laughs> it, yeah. it's just the, the biggest the, the biggest gangsters of all <laughs> and so in that sense i think that's what the wolf of wall street is an interesting like sort of uh if like the other side of the coin to the irishman where it feels like one way of life is is ending but there's also the kind of the spirit of it is just being redirected into a different yeah uh into a different uh into different trappings you know different codings it's no longer these italian f families in their little neighborhood in 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 new york somewhere it's now these big corporate guys on on wall street and uh soon i'm sure it will be uh crypto scammers or whatever but <laughs> <laughs> yeah and silicon or silicon valley uh bad guys doing yeah. all these uh crazy frauds and uh yeah gangster-ish stuff but yeah I, I do think the if you look at the wolf of wall street and you lay it next light next to the irishman it, it very much feels like the cultural shift becomes just becomes so apparent and i feel like that in maybe in some ways it's, it's ultimately we ourselves are like the whole culture as a whole that ended up killing the gangster yeah. Uh, or killing the gangster story or the myth uh, as it was as it began um at least uh, as it began in the 70s with the godfather and uh, yeah yeah no no i i i don't think i can add much to that i think that's been a theme that's kind of been creeping in at the edges during this entire series and yeah. we see it kind of ex more explicitly in scarface but then also in, we saw it last week with American Gangster in that opening where um, I forget his name, but the the the, the gangster oh, yeah. that dies at the beginning, yeah, he's he he takes uh, he takes his protege, his driver, into the the store and is kind of like, look at these big impersonal supermarkets, and mm -hmm. this is kind of the death of this old way of life, and I think yeah th that has kind of come to fruition now and uh yeah what we're left with is is the wolf of wall street is like the good fellows of of this era 
and yeah. maybe at some point we'll we'll get I don't think the the corporate scammer movie isn't like a fully fledged genre yet, but <laughs> there are a lot of movies about corp corporations yeah, right now. Yeah. All kinds of you know, we're making movies about McDonald's and the guy who they're invented... getting like a lot of attention yeah. on the television. I think there's that show with uh, Jared Leto about the oh. we we work. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's the other one from uh, the with the lady who does the uh, who did like the fake low voice. Right. I'm like, I'm, right. I don't know too much about her story except for that she right uh, she pulled like this scam and is now in jail or something or at least facing legal troubles. I think in a sense we're too culturally immersed in it still to kind of make the yeah. type of movies about it that like the gangster genre would have made about the gangsters because a lot of these movies, we've talked about this already, are period pieces. So they're looking back on an era and mm. the the great movies about sort of the new gangster yeah. are like, we'll have to come in time once we can make movies about mark zuckerberg and you know <laughs> elon musk and all their shenanigans and stuff yeah that'll be the that'll be when the corporate <laughs> uh, <laughs> film really takes over but the seeds are there the seeds are being planted yeah <laughs> who knows who knows we'll see maybe by then cinema won't you know won't be around enough it'll all yeah. just be uh tiktoks and, and yeah. uh, youtube series <laughs> yeah <laughs> So do you, not, not that this was the point of this series, but do you have any like do you is, is there a favorite gangster movie for you or one that most perfectly embodies the genre for you? Uh, kind of a hard question, I guess, because all of them we picked the ones that yeah. we picked, we picked especially because they were so iconic right. each in their own way. But I think for me, I would say what 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 I personally love so much, and this is something I kind of made a video about. Uh, I forget the title of it, but something about like how the Irishman co like comments on Goodfellas or or something like that. But I think it to builds me, on Goodfellas. Builds on Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah. The the sort of dialogue between those two movies. Mm -hmm. I love each of them. I think Goodfellas. Goodfellas is the gangster movie to me. Oh uh, yeah. But the relationship between this movie and Goodfellas specifically, kind of how stylistically they're talking to each other, the way different scenes and moments comment on each other and then how this kind of extends that story and shifts it is i think one of the coolest a filmmaker making something really impressive early in their life and then making yeah. something else that that kind of extends that and then reflects on it and also yeah i don't know i think that's so fascinating to watch not just as a viewer because they're both cool interesting movies but to see somebody doing that with their own art and mm. uh, and multiple people like De Niro and Scorsese together kind of looking back on it and and Pesci also. Yeah. Yeah. If I have to cheat the question to mm -hmm. be two movies, I think that combo to me. Yeah. But that's a tough... I mean, you know, The Godfather's iconic. There's so many... Yeah, it's not, it's not to say like you have to pick one and then say the other ones are right. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the what what about you? Uh, if if you had to pick one, is there um, is there a standout? For me, I think I'm more of a Godfather guy, like part one, yeah. two, even three. Um, I think especially the first two, they just have this almost mythical quality to them that make them feel a little bit divorced from actual reality, which I like. They make it make it feel a little bit more like Shakespearean. Uh, 
which to me uh, is just a style that I'm very responsive to, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. But after seeing one uh, Once Upon a Time in America again, I th- that's a movie that also has a similar, you know, from beginning. It's also like th- almost four hours long, uh, but that's also one that from beginning to end just has this dreamlike quality to it that just completely immerses you into it. But then once you uh, snap out of it, like or uh, you know, you watch that movie and then a year later, like you kind of forget what it was like to watch it. So that's it's it's a movie that I've I ha- I often have to rewatch every now and then because just to remind myself of like how great of a dream this actually was and so that's um, you know I think in the, the Scarface episode I said that that movie may not have been the best fit for the '80s and I think right for our discussion it maybe was because I feel like that movie was. It, you know, in, it, to talk about that movie in the second episode would almost almost have been like premature, because right, it right. it was in so many ways, especially now after The Irishman, it was way ahead of ahead of its time in that sense. I think because it very much, I, I'm sure you're gonna love it, but the um, you know it 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 just builds on so much, or I guess it, The Irishman builds more on what the uh, Once Upon a Time in America did, but it it covers so many of those same themes and it already deconstructs the genre so completely and um yeah in that sense i think that that's just also from aside from the gangster genre stuff it's just one of my favorite movies because it just deals yeah. with uh so much more than just the gangster life it, it brings like all these bigger questions into it all these bigger themes that in the way that the irishman also does at the end but for me, does it with a little bit more cinematic uh, uh, grandeur, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No de-aging, only up-aging. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that aside, um, uh, I like all of these movies a lot. It's uh, it's a fun genre. It's a very entertaining genre. But also, I think, I- indirectly, I'd say, more a very meaningful genre to me. I think it's, it. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about issues of like ego masculinity grandiosity throughout you know these episodes and i think those are very important elements to talk about and to have some sort of mindfulness about um not to say that the movies these movies are only like cautionary tales but um it's it's always been a meaningful genre to me and um yeah i'm glad we got to talk about it in depth i think this genre for me is is very entertaining i've talked about how this genre may have just been driven by the fact that this happens to be movies that some great american filmmakers made really well and perhaps that's propelled the genre as much as the genre's own inherent appeal and i think that was my angle into it was just hey people say the godfather goodfellas are are great movies so i should watch Mm -hmm. them because of that and then because they were great movies, kind of being becoming interested in this world, becoming interested in the mafia, the mob, and these stories and this genre and its tropes, and then exploring it from there. But I think what this what this genre has to offer is kind of embedded in sort of that entertaining appeal, even while it is something... I guess one thing I just wanted to say was 
especially commenting on, we've discussed a little bit that relationship between is are these movies sort of glorifying this lifestyle to some extent? Are they sh- hmm. showing them as being fun or cool or having a certain amount of appeal? And I think that element is there, but I think for me that's a necessary part of showing actually honestly exploring this world and kind of showing why people got sucked into it and you may not genuinely ever you know the game the mob is gone you know you're probably never going to face in your life this dilemma of should i join the mob or not Hmm. or you know should i put out a hit on like these are these are not moral questions that that people are going to have to grapple with but i think i think engaging with this dynamic of maybe feeling a little bit of the allure and feeling yourself kind of be pulled into that world and and feeling that sense of like oh i can i can see how somebody got sucked into this and then having to grapple with the consequences at the end in a two back two hour period i think that's the interesting like power of these movies of kind of sending these people through this hopefully there's always a risk there of some people not getting the message so to speak or just yeah. being like oh man these guys were so cool like you know i want to do crimes or i want to be a scammer <laughs> with the wolf of wall street or whatever but i think for most people most people are critical enough as a viewer to kind of experience them for what they are which is this journey that it takes you on which where at the end of the day it kind of forces you to confront this thing of like sometimes in life there are things with a certain amount of appeal or uh that draw you in and then the the consequences of that are are going to weigh on you throughout your life either materially or or spiritually on your soul or or you know just your psyche or whatever um so that's that's for me like I think what I love about this, the journey that each of these movies takes me on yeah. um, and sort of the, the kind of reflection that that, that that causes. That wraps up our five episode series, Gangster Cinema Through the Decades. If you want to have like the after party with us, we have a Discord server. It's been a lot of fun to talk with everyone there, all the fellow listeners about these movies and to hear their suggestions and their perspectives. So if you want to be a part of that, follow the link in the description and see you in the next one.